The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, this morning, um, I know we're talking about prayer, so it doesn't seem out of place to, uh, to pray a lot. Could we, could we pray one more time? Lord, I, I don't know um, exactly where everyone's heart is this morning. I don't know what brought them here today or what they think brought them here today. Um, Lord, I, I know my own heart. And Lord, standing here now, looking at delivering your word, um, I'm distracted. I'm distracted. And Lord, I, I believe that if that's happening to me, that can't, uh, I can't be the only one. And Lord, there's a lot of things in this life that are vying for our attention, are vying for our affection. And so, Lord, right now we ask you to do a work that we can't do, and that is to focus our busy hearts. Slow us down, and may we see you. And Lord, of everything else we're going to talk about today, we want to stop and recognize that it all pales in comparison to what you've done for us. That, Lord, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, God, this morning we trust that. We're, we're sitting here because of that. Um, and, Lord, even as everything we talk, it all comes from that reality. That without you, we are nothing. And so, God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts and in our minds, even in this moment. We want to hear from you this morning. Bind all distractions from us now. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is our fourth week talking about prayer, the series we started the year with. And, and you know, so far, everything we've talked about, I believe you will find looking at the life of Christ. And if we want to have the ultimate prayer life, and that's my prayer for you guys, I, I don't set out to have a mediocre life, right? No one says, hey, look, let's talk about prayer. I would really love a mediocre prayer life. We want a, an incredible prayer life. We want a special prayer life. And if we want that for ourselves, then we need the ultimate example And that's obviously Jesus. You know, what we're talking about today is a little bit different than what we talked about before. You know, when I start to think about everything we talked about so far about prayer, and and I even went back, and I went back and I looked at sermons that I'd preached on prayer, and you know, the element we're talking about today, I don't think I've ever preached on. Now look, I know I've only been preaching, what, seven years or so, but, but even in that time, I preached on prayer a lot, and in that period of time, I don't think I've ever preached on this topic, but if you look at the life of Jesus and the example of Jesus, he tells us how to pray, he tells us ways to pray, he tells us when to to pray and all these different things, but there's an element there as well that I've never talked about that we need to talk about today, and that's him praying with other people. That's him praying uh, corporately with other people. And look, if there's anybody in the world who ever, if, if, if they didn't need it, they wouldn't do it, that would be Jesus, right? If anybody didn't need corporate prayer, that would be Jesus. And yet, it's a regular part of his life. Check this out, Luke 9, 28. He took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus needed time to pray with other people. Luke 9, 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Or even when the disciples finally asked Jesus, look, could you just teach us to pray? You've been talking about prayer. We're hearing about it. Could you just teach us how to pray? And what does he say? Our Father, right? 
forgive us our debts. He starts to use this language, this plural pronoun. Why does he do that? It's a reminder to us that we are in a family together and we are expected to pray together. This is a discipline that we absolutely need. And I started to think, why don't we do it more? Why don't we pray together more? And I think it's because private prayer versus uh, public prayer, praying together, uh, praying together takes a lot more out of us. It requires more of us. It requires you to be vulnerable in front of other people. Because if you're praying, I mean, you could pray together and, and just phone it in and it wouldn't be a big deal. We've all been there, right? Where you've been in like a prayer circle with people and, and you know, maybe they come in, maybe they're just all upset and you're like, how can we pray for you? And they're like, uh... Uh, my great aunt's knee hurts when it rains. You know, like they give something like that to you and you're like, hang on a second, you're playing a game right now. And that's the thing, praying together requires some vulnerability. It requires us to be a little bit uncomfortable. It requires some planning and thought. In private prayer, it's your schedule. You make it work however you need to make it work. But if we're gonna spend regular time together praying together, that requires some planning. That requires some thought. That requires some sacrifice. There are things we aren't gonna be able to do because we've gotta spend some time together with one another praying. And I started to think when something requires sacrifice like that, when something isn't easy to do, what motivates us to do it? Because we gotta figure that out Because we can see that it's a discipline in the life of Jesus, and we're about to see some benefits of it, but what could motivate us to get there? I started to think about other things in our lives that we do that are difficult. What motivates us to do that? Anybody in here, you, you, you regularly exercise, you're that type of person, you exercise and you run and you work out or whatever, raise your hand, it's okay, it's okay, we're silently judging you. All right, all right, good job. Why do you do it? Is it because you don't have a subscription to Netflix? Maybe. But it's also because it's also because you see the benefit. The benefit is there. It outweighs the hurt, right? So when you're sitting there and you're just running and you don't understand why you're doing it, you start to remember, oh yeah, I like my heart to work right and I like my body to work right, right? Or, or when you're working out or whatever and you're like, this is just so hard, then you, you start to think about all those selfies you take in the mirror and you want them to look nice or whatever it is. It's worth it. You deem it worth it. When I think about my, my children, uh, I've, I'm coaching two teams this year in basketball. I've got a four and five-year-old team and a six and seven-year-old team, and coaching that um, is a challenge. It's a challenge, all right? It is an absolute challenge, and you know what? They play their games, the four and five-year-olds. They want them to get to play first, which is really great, so that means that we get to get our five-year-olds up and get them already fed into the basketball court by 8 a.m. every Saturday, right? So I start to think, like, why would I do that? I had the referee this, this Saturday came to me, and uh, after the second game, he said, are there any other teams you want to coach today? Like, what are you doing? Do you, do you get paid to do this? What are you doing? And I was like, no, nah, these are these are all my kids and and I started to think like why do I do this because it's worth it it's worth it right all of the difficulty all of the sacrifice it's worth it to spend that time with my kids to watch my little Piper Grace snatch a rebound yesterday and she did and it was awesome to watch Jude wander around the court and take look and just take notice of all the intricacies in the wall and rub the wall while everyone is down here playing and I'm yelling Jude go defense 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 and he like looks at me and like yeah I'll get there and he walks on down it's worth it to spend that time with my kids it's worth it so I'm gonna do it yes it takes a little bit more planning yes it takes sacrifice yes sometimes it's very uncomfortable but it's worth it 
And so in the same thing, if we're going to begin to see the, the we're going to begin to pray together, then we need to see the value of it. And so real quickly, I just want to show you three benefits of praying together. Just three benefits. And there are way more than three, but this is what we've got for our time together here. Number one is learning. There's a benefit of learning. And what I mean by that is you learn more about Jesus by praying with your brothers and sisters. You learn more about Jesus. You know, as I started to think about this point, I started to think about the relationships that God's given me. Um, the Lord's given me a diverse group of friends. He's given me friends that are, are, are much older. He's given me friends that are much younger, friends who are in the same place in life as I am, friends with kids, friends without kids. He's given me friends who come from a background very similar to mine. He's given me friends who uh, have come from really, really dark places. He's given, me, he's given me friends who, when you're just around them, they have this like joy about them that everything else like kind of fades away. You know what I'm talking about? They're the, they're the tigger of the group, right? And then I've got friends who are just the opposite of that. I've got friends who tried to take their life before. I've got friends who've walked in deep valleys that I can't even begin to imagine. I've had friends who've been on high mountaintops with God that I long to be there. And the thing about the differences among all of us, when we get to pray together, every single one of us has experienced Jesus in a different way. We've all experienced Jesus, but, but because of our experiences and where we come from, we get to see different aspects of Jesus a little bit more clearly than others get to see. And when I get to spend time with them and I get to eavesdrop, if you will, on them talking to Jesus, then I get to see their vantage point. If only for a second, I get to see their vantage point. So when I, I pray with my friend who's buried his spouse, I get to see just for a second his vantage point and I get to see just how incredibly tender and kind and compassionate and close God is in a way I've never experienced before. And I, I just get to see it for a moment and I'm, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm spurred on when I get to pray with a friend of mine who, who's come from a, a place where, where the Lord's provision is so important. I get to see from their vantage point just how good he is and how faithful he is. And just in that moment, there's a gratefulness in me. There's a gratitude in me and there's, a, there's something in me that drives me to want to know him more. And so when we pray together, we, we get to learn about Jesus. We get to see, if for just a second, we get to see him from a different vantage point. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, which I highly recommend, wrote this. By praying with friends, you'll be able to hear and see facets of Jesus that you have not yet perceived. And so again, praying with different people, they put spotlights on his mercy and on his grace and on his provision and on his strength and on his closeness and intimacy and care and glory that, that I wouldn't naturally shine myself because I haven't lived where they've lived. God hasn't met me in the same way that he met them. And so I get to learn to see Jesus a little bit more clearly when I pray with other people. The other side of learning is, is you just, you learn to pray. Not only do you learn more about Jesus, but you learn to pray. You know, I, uh, I'm going to just throw this out, confession. This is a shocker. So I, everybody seated? Good. Hold on to your seats. I have no mechanical prowess. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. That is not, that is not in my skill sets. Uh, I drive a car when it starts to act up. Uh, I, I naturally assume that um, there are demons in it. 
And uh, when it stops, I naturally assume that it's dead and it's time to move on and get a new car, right? But I have other friends of mine, that's just not the case. They have this, they have this mechanical prowess. They have this gear in their head that, that just, they, they hear something wrong in the engine. They're like, oh, that's the carburetor attached to the other aider and, 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 the, and, that, t- and that tater's all messed up and you need to get that and just whatever, right? Like that's how their brain works. And I had a friend of mine who's just like that. And so my car's acting up. I did everything I did. I, I, I knew to do. I opened my Bible, prayed over it, cast the demons out, and it was still acting up. So I bring it to my friend, and, and he's working on it, and he's explaining, well, you know, this does this, and that's why you can't do this and whatever. And I said, how do you learn all this? He's, he's not a professional mechanic. How in the world did you learn all this? Do you live on YouTube? What in the world do you do? And he said, no, I, I watched my dad. He said, I just watched my dad. For years and years, I, I watched my dad. And he picks up this incredible ability. And I started to think like, oh yeah, that's, that's how we learn. We, we're watching. I mean, I think about, like I watched my dad growing up, which is why I don't know anything about cars, but I can be sarcastic in three different languages, right? Like we learn, we learn from, from watching. And you think about the disciples. Did they learn mostly about, about how to pray because Jesus taught them one time? Or did they learn mostly about how to pray because, because they were, uh, are we okay? Are we okay? We okay? We good? Julie, you want to check that out? We okay? Okay. Um, sorry. Do, did they learn how to pray mostly because Jesus taught them or because they prayed with Jesus? They learned by praying with Jesus. Can we stop, can we stop and pray? How about we do that? This is silly. We're talking about prayer. Can we stop? Is that okay? Can we pray? Can I pray for you? Miss Jean, is that okay? Let's pray. Let's pray for Miss Jean. Lord, would you would you help Miss Jean right now? She's coughing. There's there's wheezing. There's this this breath issue. Lord, would you help her right now? For her relief, and for your fame among these people. That Lord, we stopped and we prayed and we got to see you do something here. Would you do that? For the grace of these people, for the grace of Miss Jean, and for your fame. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Prayer, huh? So, that's, just a second. Sorry. I don't know. You were like, that's the weirdest church I've ever been to. Guys, like, we have this opportunity. We have this God of, of extreme creative power who creates solutions out of nothing, who's in charge of all things, and he listens to us. Isn't that nuts? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about prayer. We're not talking about that boring thing that you hated to do when you were a kid. I mean, we're talking about accessing the power of God together. Isn't that incredible? So did the disciples learn to pray because Jesus told them what to do? Is that how, he, is that how they learned to pray? No, they probably learned to pray mostly because they watched him. They listened to him. They learned from him. In the same way, the best way I can tell you to learn to pray is go pray with people. Go pray with people who regularly talk to the Lord Jesus. Go pray with people who know him better than you know him. Go and pray. I think about uh, a group of people that I've been able to pray with on Tuesday nights for a number of years. And as I've spent time with them, I think about one in particular sitting and praying with him. And you know, when we were praying together, we started to pray and he just paused 
for like an uncomfortably long amount of time, you know, that makes you think for a second, like, did he fall asleep? Like, are we good? But, but he would pause. And then when he spoke to God, there was this reverence and this awe that it never came out of my mouth, right? When I talked to God, like, that's not how my prayers sounded. And, and I started to think, he never instructed me. He never said, you know what you need to do? You need to stop and remember who you're talking to. That's what you need to do. You know what? You need to stop and just think about how great God is before you talk to him. He never said that out loud. But you know what I learned? I learned that. I learned it because I saw him do it. I learned it because I heard the authenticity that, in, in the way that he prayed. And I was like, I want to I pray like that. I want to know God like that. I thought about when we started to pray and we talk about prayer requests and praying together. He didn't, he didn't pray for stuff. He prayed for God to do things. That's what he wanted. He wanted to see God move more than he wanted God to do what he wanted him to do. And I thought, that's not how I pray. That's not what my prayers sound like. And so I learned that. How? Because I prayed with them. And I learned it. So the best way you're going to learn to pray is to pray with other people. The second thing we learned, the second benefit of praying together is not just learning, but it's greater power. Now, I'm going to give you a confession real quick. I don't understand this. This is a mystery to me, but, but it's here. I see it. You know, there's this passage in Matthew 18, verse 15 through 20 that might be one of the more misunderstood, maybe misquoted passages of all time. You, you know the quote, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You know that quote, right? I mean, obviously, there's a context here. The context is conflict. If two or more of you are gathered in my name, right, you're in my name, you're going to have this conflict. You're going to have to deal with discipline here. If you're going to do it in my name, I'm going to be there. That's a really hard, awkward moment. I'm going to be right there in the middle of it. Because, of course, like if one is gathered in his name, he can be there too, right? So, so there's, there's this principle here talking about church discipline. However, there's this interesting point that I think touches to praying together. Check it out. If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask... That's, that's what he says there. If two of you uh, agree on earth about anything that they ask, and, and, and he says, you'll have it. And so I started to think about that, like, okay, obviously there are some limitations there as we talk about asking in his name and according to his will, but, but what is the point here? There seems to be some added power to, to believers agreeing together before the Lord. And if you're like, I don't, I don't know, you might be reading into that. Okay, let's check out James 5, 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What's it say? You need healing? What do you do? Go, go get the elders to pray with you. You need healing, confess your sins to other people, have them pray for you. Again, there's some sort of, sometimes there's this reserved power for when we pray together, for when God's people collectively agree and plead together to the Father. And look, you might say, well, explain that. I don't know, I can't, I can't, but I'm saying I can see it. It's here, it's true. I can't explain it, but it's here. A benefit of praying together is that sometimes there's reserved power only accessible through a group of people collectively agreeing and petitioning the Lord. That's just there. I don't know, I can't explain it, but that's just there. So do you need God's power in your life? Do you? Then pray with your family. Get together with your family and ask the Lord together, God, would you do something here in us and for us right now? Ask. The third thing is unity. And unity is a big deal in the body of Christ. I mean, Jesus himself told us that a house divided against itself will fall. And before he was betrayed, what did he ask the Father for us? Unite them. 
Unite them. As much as you and I are united, unite them right now. And Ephesians 4 reveals to us that all spiritual gifts serve what? The unity of the body of Christ. Isn't that crazy? All spiritual gifts serve the unity of the body of Christ. That's insane. And so God works unity in us when we pray together. When we come together collectively and corporately and we pray together, God begins to work unity in us. And and if you look in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has just ascended into heaven, right? He just said, hey, everybody, I'm leaving, but before I leave, I want want to tell you something. Go wait, okay? Go wait, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, okay? And you'll know it. It's going to hit you. It's going to be awesome. And so just go wait for me, okay? So he ascends into heaven. They're standing there just looking up. And they're like, what in the world just happened, right? And so then the angels appear, and they're like, hey, look, stop staring up. He'll come back just the way you saw him. You know what to do. Go, go wait, right? So they go up, and they wait. And there's like 120 of them sitting in this room. Now, could you imagine being in that room? Could you imagine being that 120? How many different opinions were in that room in that moment uh, of what to do next? How many different opinions do you think were in their mind? I mean, think about it. Their leader just right up to heaven. He's gone. He just floated out, right? And he said, there's this Holy Spirit going to come. What's that like? I don't know. We've never experienced it before. And so we're supposed to wait. Wait where? Right here? I guess so. Is this room right? I guess so. Or what should we be doing in this moment? I mean, you think about what a more divisive moment. Their leader ascends into heaven, and now they're sitting there waiting for something they don't quite understand. How in the world could they be united? We'll look at Acts 1.14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What was the key to their unity? The key to their accord. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Isn't that crazy? God took this, 120, this group of 120 people who didn't really know what was going on. They're waiting for something they don't quite understand. And God unites them. They're not worrying like, well, who's in charge? Well, okay, now Jesus is gone. We're waiting for this. How about I'm in charge or she's in charge or he's in charge or or we should do this or we should do that. No, no, no. They're united. How? God shapes their desires corporately through prayer together. It's incredible. And it gets crazier. So the Holy Spirit does show up, just like Jesus said. They step out. They begin to speak about Jesus. They start preaching the gospel to all of these people. And they're speaking the languages of everybody that is there that day. An incredible moment, right? The Holy Spirit, like tongues of fire on top of their head, right? They step out. They start speaking in all of these languages. And people are going, how in the world is this happening? How am I hearing this in a language that I understand? And so Peter steps up and begins to preach and explain what they're seeing. And in that moment, 3,000 people were converted, which is crazy awesome. I mean, that's really exciting. But think about it from an operations standpoint. You've got a brand new movement, 120 people in a room. That is your movement. Who is your leader? I don't know just yet. We haven't quite figured that out. We've got 120 people, not exactly sure who's in charge, who's calling the shots. Now you have 3,000. In an instant, you have 3,000 people more in your movement. This, this loose movement, this movement that they don't have like a, a handbook. Hey, would you like to join our movement? Excellent. Here's our handbook. Sign our membership covenant, right? Come to our class in, for a few weeks and then you can join our church. No, what are they? Just immediately. There's 3,000 more people. How in the world do you take 3,000 newbies in a movement that is 
24 hours old, how in the world do you take that and unify them? That movement's done. They're not ready to scale for growth. That movement is done. But check it out. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and the prayers. And God, through those times together of worship together, shaped their desires of those 3,000 people, shaped their desires and, and unified them so much that they changed the world. Isn't that incredible? I mean, from a human standpoint, when you step back and you look at that, that group is not going to work. That group is going to have so many different ideas, so many different leaders, so many different. This is never going to work. And they devote themselves to worship and to prayer and God unites them. He takes all these people from all over the world. They don't even all speak the same language. And he unites them and he changes the world through them. I hope what I'm about to say doesn't come off as harsh and I hope you hear my pastor's heart that I deeply love you and I deeply love our church and I deeply love the church. And this comes from a place of brokenness and from a place of, um, I'm right there with you. But we, as many churches are, are a divided church and I think the reason is because we don't pray together. Now hang on. We don't ask the Lord to shape our desires and so he doesn't. We try to. We try to determine what's important and what's not important and and do all these other things. Well, this is important to this group and this is important to this group. And because we don't come together and we don't ask the Lord to shape our desires together, then we're divided. And what do divided people do? They fight. They fight over music. They fight over volume. They fight over aesthetics, what's on the stage, what's off the stage. They they fight over their Sunday school. They fight over uh, whether the, the lobby looks a certain way or the color of the carpet. We fight over all of these silly things. Because we're divided. We haven't come together and asked the Lord to shape our hearts. And the enemy, what he's done is he's come in and, and, and all the while, while we're fighting, there are people out there that don't know Jesus. And there are people out there right now, as we sit here and talk about how great he is, they are suffering. And they're suffering in the darkness and there's no one calling them out. And what the enemy has done is he's made us a cockpit, a cockpit full of pilots who care more about the in-flight meal than the destination and the safety of our passengers. And I want to be a church, and I think you do too, who has the same heart like Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. But we will never have that heart until we ask the Lord to do what he did that day in Pentecost. Until we ask the Lord to do what only he can do, which is take a room full of people with different preferences and different desires from different places and different experiences and ask him to unite our hearts as one. If we want to be like that early church and we're not squabbling over who's calling the shots or who's getting their way, if we want to be like that and be a movement that changes the world and we want to see that baptistry up there overflowing, we can't keep water in it because people are coming in and coming out. We are seeing dead people come to life. Then we need to ask the Lord to do something that only he can do. And when they were united in prayer, God kept working. 
He didn't just grow them. God kept working. Check this out. He empowered them because they prayed. It says in Acts 4, 24, that they lifted their voices to God and the meeting place was shaken and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. I want to be in that. I want to be with a group of people that is asking the Lord to do something and the ground shakes because the Holy Spirit responds. He empowered them. He guided them when they were trying to choose who are the seven men that are going to go out and take care of all of these really special people close to the heart of God. What did they do? They prayed and God guided them. He delivered them. While Peter was in prison, there was earnest prayer made for him by the church in Acts 12. And he's miraculously delivered. And you know what he finds the people doing when, they, when he's delivered? They're praying for him. They're praying for him. A group of people came together. They agreed together. They asked the Lord to do something and he delivered them. He grew them when they're sending Paul out on this incredible missionary journey that's gonna establish countless churches and begin to change the world. How do they do it? They prayed for him. And God responded to their prayer and he grew them. He strengthened them in jail. What do Paul, what are Paul and Silas doing? They're praying and they're singing hymns together. He strengthens them. He comforts them. As Paul says, an emotional goodbye to the Ephesian elders whom he loved dearly. What did they do? It says he knelt down and prayed with them all. And it starts with unity in prayer. Do we want his power here? Do we be united and pray for it? Do we want his guidance here? Do we need to be united and pray for it? His deliverance, his growth, his strength, his comfort. Then we must be united in prayer. And I think that oftentimes we as a church are weak because we think we're strong. Because we think we got it figured out. And instead, when we admit our weaknesses together and ask the Father, beg the Father for his strength, we will have it. And so this morning, I want us to close by doing just that. And so I'm going to ask our, our band to come back up, and they're going to they're gonna lead us in a little bit. But I want to guide us through a time of prayer as we respond to the Father. And I want to tell you this. If you don't want to participate, please don't. There's no, no one's going to come by your seat and grab you or, you know, are you praying? No one's checking on you, okay? It's between you and, you and the Father. But I want us to pray together today if that's okay with you. So I'd like for you now, if you wouldn't mind, if you feel comfortable, if you're able, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me as we pray? We're going to first start just praising God for who he is as a church. We're going to be united in that. I know we've done that already today, but we're going to continue doing that now. I know Christians asked you before, if you would, to put your hands out. If you feel comfortable to put your hands out. If you feel comfortable, maybe even raise your hands. We're going to read Psalm 145. If you want to follow along, it'll be on the screen. You can read it with me or just let it be your prayer. But let's praise the Father now together. Let's pray. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They will speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I'll declare your greatness. 
They'll pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. If you're able and if you're willing, would you kneel with me? If not, you may sit. Please sit. But if you're able and willing, would you kneel with me? As Lord, now together as a church, we are on our knees. And we're asking for your forgiveness. Forgive us for trusting our own strength. Forgive us for being divided and not united. Forgive us for being prayerless at times. And so God, now together as a church in one accord on our knees before you in helpless surrender, God, we beg you for your power here. We beg you for your power. We are like the grass. We will wither. God, we, well, our strength is nothing. We beg you for your strength to do your work in your way. God, please fill us with your power so that we can go out and be your witnesses. We can't do it without you. Please, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit to live lives that are pleasing to you. God, we beg you for your wisdom. We beg you for your guidance. Would you unite our hearts with hearts of wisdom to know exactly what you want for us, to know exactly what you want from us. God, would you do with this room and with this group of people what you want to do? God, we beg you for your guidance. And God, we beg you for our unity. God, I admit myself that God, I've often been demanding. I've often been inconsiderate. 
God, I've often been the cause of erosion of unity. God, no more for us. Please, God, no more. Unite our hearts. Because there's only one thing that matters about everyone in this room. Is that we were saved by faith. God, it's through your grace, God, we're here. And that's all that matters. That you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. That's all that matters about us. We belong to the master. That's all that matters. All the things, Lord, that we would divide over, would you show us how foolish they are and how small they are and how they rob us of joy? And would you unite us, not around personalities or programs or preferences, but would you unite us around a deep devotion and affection for the risen Jesus? Unite us, please. Do a work that only you can do. Lord, we are so thankful that you've heard us this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your concern for us. Thank you for your work. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.